Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. For starters, all the metrics that we've been using for a decade, you can basically throw them in the circular file. That was built around a what is called a session-based model. People would come to your website, they would stay there for a length of time, that was a session. Sessions go away. Sessions are irrelevant. In GA4, the key concept is what is called an event. Welcome listeners to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Allison Lester, Director of Media Relations for Fletcher Marketing PR, sitting in for our CEO, Kelly Fletcher, today. It's great to be with you, and I'm excited to have a couple of experts joining us today to talk about the future of Google Analytics GA4. Our team recently took a workshop hosted by Katie Payne and Greg Jarbo about the next generation of Google Analytics. It was very worthwhile, and they have thankfully agreed to join us today to share some of their insights. So thank you guys so much for joining us. You're welcome. Pleased to be here. No problem. Always love to talk about GA4. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you guys are able to talk about it uh, because there's a lot to unpack here. And these are two of the best people to learn from. Greg is the president of SEO PR, which he co-founded in 2003, a digital marketing agency that has won awards for generating results for a variety of clients including the Christian Science Monitor, Get City Deals, Harlequin Romance, Marketing Sherpa, Parents Magazine, Southwest Airlines, which I'd love to talk about offline, uh, and Rutgers (laughs) University. Uh, He's also the author of YouTube and Video Marketing and one of the 25 successful online marketing gurus profiled in Michael Miller's Online Marketing Heroes. He's written a ton of posts for ClickZe, Inked, Search Engine Journal and has spoken at at more than 80 industry conferences. He's also an instructor at Rutgers Business School and the New Media Academy. Katie Payne is known as the Measurement Queen and has been a pioneer in the field of measurement for three decades. She was recently awarded the prestigious IPR Jack Felton Medal for Lifetime Achievement an award made for lifetime contributions in the advancement of research, measurement, and evaluation in PR and corporate communication. She's written books that are considered must-reads for anyone tasked with measuring public relations and social media. And her latest company, Payne Publishing, is the first educational publishing firm entirely dedicated to making more measurement mavens. In her consulting practice, she designs measurement dashboards for some of today's most admired companies, and was recently named one of 25 women who rock social media by Lee Auden's prestigious online marketing blog. She contributes to Communication World, PR Week, and Business Marketing. Pretty impressive resumes from our guests today. Listeners, you may already know that Google is doing away with its standard universal analytics measuring and moving to Google Analytics 4, GA4, on July 1st of this year. This can mean great things to those of us who are going to know how to use it, but there will be a learning curve as there is anytime there's a new update to the systems we use. So Greg, I wanted to start with you. You've already started working with GA4 and you're currently training people on using the new system. What are some of the biggest differences to note? And keep in mind that we only have about 45 minutes here. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, I will try to boil it down. For starters, the version that most of us have used for the last decade was developed a decade ago, and it's hard to remember that far back. But in 2012, clients I was working with were getting about 7% of their traffic from mobile devices. Basically, everyone was coming to a website from a desktop device, whether it was a laptop or a desktop, whatever. Today, it's 70% of your traffic is probably coming from mobile devices. So the world shifted. Another shift that took place was, oh, by the way, 10, 11 years ago, there was no such thing as GDPR. And all of a sudden, here we are in today's modern world, and privacy is not just an issue. It's the law in Europe, a different law in California, and there's about four other states in the United States that have adopted a variation. So guess what? Those are two fundamental shifts that are reflected in why Google would aggravate us by changing GA4. Now, they're engineers. They'd aggravate us anyway, but they didn't have to do it quite so fundamentally, except they were forced to by the world shifted. Now, that has consequences for what we're going to look at in GA4. For starters, all the metrics that we've been using for a decade, you can basically throw them in the circular file. That was built around a what is called a session-based model. People would come to your website. They would stay there for a length of time. That was a session. Sessions go away. Sessions are irrelevant. In GA4, the key concept is what is called an event. What did people do while they were on your website or in your app? And as a result, all of a sudden, things that we grew up with, like bounce rate, disappear. They're gone. There is now a thing called engagement rate. So if somebody came to your landing page 10 years ago, and they stayed there for an indefinite period of time and then went away, that was called a bounce. They came to one page, they went away, they bounced. Well, now if they come to your landing page and they watch a video on the site and they scroll down to the bottom 90% of the page, all of a sudden you have a couple of events that you can track. And those are a couple of events, things happened and that's now called an engagement rate. And so that's the biggest change that people will discover. The other change that unfortunately they will discover that, you know, that's, that's just fundamental. But the bad news is in the old days, we got pretty comfortable with comparing year-over-year -year data because a lot of our business is seasonal. You know, it's, a, it's the fourth quarter crunch or I work for a lot of clients in, let's say, our universities. Guess what? In September, people go back to school, traffic changes. Well, the default setting in GA4 is two months of data. You actually have to go in when you're setting it up and say, no, 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 no. That's way too short. And the maximum that they will let you track and save data is 14 months, which means you may be able to compare this month to the same month a year ago, but you can't compare this year to the same year a year ago. And that is going to be a kind of a surprise. But it's also one of the reasons why you need to get started as soon as possible so that when you change over in this new world, it turns out you're going to have apples to oranges. You couldn't compare GA4 data to universal analytics data if you wanted to. 
And oh, by the way, if you haven't been collecting it for some period of time, you can't even compare month over month until maybe a year from now when you finally have 14 months of data. Are there some simple things that you will be able to compare to Universal Analytics, like number of users per month? There are a couple, one of which is the page view. It turns out a page view is a page view is a page view. That pretty much is the same. Uh, the same is true with user. So a user is a user, although, and this is one of the benefits of the new GA4, if you have a user who has multiple devices, so I'm going to visit from my smartphone and then I'm going to come back tomorrow on my desktop. Google Analytics 4 is pretty good about figuring it's you with two different devices. They can synchronize that. And even though you come back using a different device, they still know that's a user and they can track you over time, even across those multiple devices. So in that sense, maybe a user is not a user. There's some terminology that you will see that you will be comfortable with. So in universal analytics, I mean, we all have multiple devices, almost all of us, I would say. So I might get counted three different times, once for my tablet, once for my phone, and once for my desktop. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And um, all of a sudden, you've got three times more users visiting right. your site. And the answer is no, 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 no. A similar thing happens with goals. So if I set a goal, I want people to fill out a lead generation form. If they came to my site today in Universal Analytics and I fill out a lead gen form, but I also fill out a customer complaint form, right? in other words, I come and I do two things, I've filled out two forms, that's counted as one goal conversion in Universal Analytics today. But in GA4, that's two different events. And by the way, knowing that this person came and did more than one thing is sometimes a pretty useful thing to know. Sure. Katie, so you are the measurement queen. You have spent much of your career focused on PR measurement. And one of the biggest battles that we fight in this industry is proving attribution. So what are some ways that you see with GA4 that could actually help PR professionals better track our attribution for our clients? The issue has always been, there's several different issues around attribution in general, but the way Universal Analytics worked was that pretty much everything was based on a one-click, last-click model. And what that did was kind of reward paid advertising and discount entirely earned media. And people, you know, would yak on about the fact that, well, we're there to generate awareness. There was never any way in Google Analytics to really show that contribution. That has all changed because now you can adjust the attribution model to exactly where you are contributing to the event or the goal. If the event is a purchase, then you get a certain percentage of that purchase attributed to your activity. So if you tag your press releases, you tag whatever content it is that you're generating within the PR department or content department or whichever department it happens to be, you can you can tag that and then show that contribution to the ultimate goals. That's the biggest aha moment for PR is the fact that we really have now a way of saying, 
okay, we're not, we can't claim credit for a million dollar sale. We've never been able to do that because sales would always take credit for it anyway. But even assuming that they would acknowledge our contribution, now we can show exactly where we made that contribution, how we contributed to that success. We talk a lot about the buyer's journey, the customer's journey, if they're not actually buying a product. The way I'm understanding it is that with GA4, you can more clearly follow one user's journey, with, especially with, with big ticket items or with a service that you're buying. Most of us don't just get online, go to a website and buy a car. You know, there's multiple points of research and visiting the site over and over again before you actually go through with a purchase. Same for, gosh, for me, Christmas presents and everything. And so GA4 is what you're saying is going to do a better job of tracking that journey. They can't track individual because that would be in violation of GDPR, among other things. But they can track what are called cohorts. So if a group of people come to your website because of a campaign, let's say, you can identify them to say, ah, these are people who came in during our launch campaign, and I can now track this cohort over time. And, you know, who knows what your sales cycle is? It could be 90 days. It could be whatever it is. But you can basically see, okay, what did this cohort do over time? And therefore, what percentage of them went on to do something, a conversion event that had some kind of value to my company. But yeah, it's not down to the individual level. What's important to remember is you can have multiple cohorts, right? So you can compare the activities of different cohorts. What I've been preaching for the last couple of years, and Greg taught me this, which is, you know, if you assume that most purchases start with some form of search and then if your website is perfect and your product is perfect and everything else, sure, they're going to go right through the funnel and they're going to buy something at the end. Doesn't happen that way because there's all these other things that might influence it. You might go to a review site and it'll show you this cohort is coming in from a review site or some other site. It could show you that, in fact, this cohort stuck around and actually went farther and longer and stayed on your page longer than this one over there that caught up in some controversial topic and, you know, culture wars and politics got in the way. Because if you think about the funnel today, it's an incredibly leaky sieve. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and BR's, BR's job is to keep you in the funnel and not let you leak out. I mean, you want to build trust and credibility and all those things that make you want to stay in that funnel. And you're constantly fighting against politics, culture wars, bad reviews, pitchforks at your gate. To keep people in. And I think one of the things that we're going to be seeing, and I yet to do this yet, so I'm, I'm guilty about, I need a case study to show this, but I think you might be able to show that campaigns influenced by PR stay in that funnel longer. And that's going to be incredibly important, particularly in the uncertain economy that we've entered. I can remember a case study I did with Rutgers back during the Great Recession. So this is about 12 years ago, and they had to cut our PR budget by $23,000 a quarter because they needed to save money. And where do you cut first? PR, of course. And I said, do you mind if I do a test? And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, we're measuring this even in the old universal analytics. We're measuring what happens. And what we were able to show them at the end of 90 days 
was they had saved $23,000, but they had lost $230,000 in tuition because they weren't generating those leads anymore. So again, as we enter this new economic cycle, boy, if you're in public relations, you don't want to be, well, trust me, I think there's a benefit somehow in there somewhere. It's like, no, you're going to want to dig into GA4 and show, I help bring in this lead. Yeah, yeah, they may have done three or four other things before they actually went on to purchase, but I played a role here at the beginning. And here's where I, I think it's funny. I was just talking about this to a client last Thursday. And, and essentially, this group is responsible for generating earned social media. So they don't own the content. They're not in control of the content. Somewhere else has Twitter handles and the Facebook pages and all the rest of that stuff. But these guys are creating content that is of interest, presumably to the media, but also to social media. Can you imagine the value of being able to say, hey, we generated this, and as a result, it stayed in the funnel longer, it went further down the line, all of those things, rather than my Twitter handle corporate site that sounds like a bot and is obnoxious and just puts stuff out there all the time. And one of the new changes in GA4 is the standard channel definition. Today, uh, all that traffic would be called social. In GA4, there are now two versions of social. There's paid social and there's organic social. And so if you've got an ad campaign in social, guess who's getting all the credit for whatever traffic that's coming through from the social channel today? Guess what? That gets broken out. And again, if you're on the PR side, communication side, the organic social media content creation side, whatever, you now have a default channel that you can say, that's us. So you guys have both talked a little bit, though, about that there could be a bias here with Google, as with a lot of things, money gets in the way sometimes, and Google wants you to spend money on ads. So there are maybe some ways that our advertising competitors or even within our own companies, you know, that it could make digital ads appear to be more effective than PR. What should we as PR pros be considering when setting up our tracking, when looking at the events that we include to make sure that we're getting the credit we deserve? I have a really, really, really radical alternative. One of the new things in GA4 that they will let you do is create likely seven-day buyer cohort. Based on all the activity on the site, these people are doing all the right things so that they look suspiciously like people who may do business with us in the next week. Wow, cool group. How do I reach them to get them over the edge? Well, unfortunately, Google says, ah, now you can advertise to them. So that's part of the built-in. Thank you very much for this really wonderful feature, but it's going to make the ad guys the heroes because they closed the deal. Now, this is where the radical alternative comes in for the PR people. If that cohort is a group you brought in, it's a public relations cohort, guess what? Buddy up with the ad people. Share credit. They may be able to create an ad to go back out and find those folks out there as they're looking on 
websites for competitive comparisons and, and objective reviews. And okay, they may help close the deal. But if you can say, I've created a cohort that you can follow up with, then yeah, you're going to share a little credit. But guess what? You're the front end. You're the one that they need to close the deal with. And that then, I know, making friends with the ad people? (laughs) What a concept. Well, I mean, actually, we really believe wholeheartedly in integrated marketing and all of the different pieces work well together. We do digital ads and we do paid social and we do organic social and we do earned media and paid placement. We think that there's a place for everything. We actually believe that having the one firm handle all of it is a much more holistic approach to your marketing and PR strategy than piecemealing it and having one group do your social and one group do your digital ads. So for us, we would just go to the client and say, okay, we've reached a point in our PR funnel where we think now the ad dollars that you spend are going to make way more of a difference than they would have three weeks ago at the beginning of this campaign. So it might change the phases of our campaigns a little bit, but it sounds kind of exciting. It is. And and we have a case study that actually is published on Katie's site from 2019. And one of the things we found was that PR had brought in 1% of the traffic to the Rutgers School of Management and Labor Relations. 1%. Boy, is that pathetic. It turned out to generate 8 percent of their leads. Why? Because the PR was informing people. It was getting them farther up the information food chain so that they converted at a higher rate. Well, again, if you are only looking at how much traffic you brought in and you stop and that's the end of my job, I've raised awareness, I'm over, you don't get the credit for the fact that that's not just a random visitor who's stumbled into your site. You got them there because you provided them with useful, detailed information. Guess what? They converted at a higher percentage rate. I wanted to talk about events. You've mentioned them. I've talked about them a little bit kind of vaguely here, but as you said, GA4 uses event-based data instead of session-based data. So what are some of the different types of events that people can be tracking? There are still goals in GA4. And maybe, Greg, you could just explain the relationship between the two. In universal analytics, you had to set up your goal first, and a lot of people forgot to do that. So when it came time to measuring a conversion, they hadn't set up their goals. Guess what? There are no conversions. Nothing good happened. Today, there are some events that will be set by default. You don't even have to do anything. One of which is they made a purchase, which is considered a conversion event. So you do nothing and just get GA4 up and running and purchases will be tracked. But for PR people, that's the tip of the iceberg. You're going to want to go in and fiddle around with what are called suggested events. And among the suggested events that it's as simple as hitting a radio button and say, yes, that's a suggested event that I would like to track. And among those are going to be, did they watch a video on my page? Did they begin to watch it or did they watch it all the way to the end? Another one is called scroll. Did they scroll to the bottom of my page? That's an optional event, but boy, if I'm creating content, I want to know, did they bounce after the first paragraph or did they go deeper? So there are several different optional events that you're going to want to pick. 
And then there's the tricky stuff. And one of the tricky things is you can create what is called a triggered event. And this is, okay, this person came and read one of my blog posts. That's nice. I want to know when people come and read the third blog post. So if they've come back again and again and again, now I think they have enough information about my company, business, service, cause, whatever it is, that I'm now ready to go over to my friends in advertising and say, these folks know who we are. You start advertising to them, and I think we've got high leverage prospects. So creating a triggered event is, again, not something they taught me when I went to college. <laughs> it's not in the standard PR book, but boy, does GA4 make PR people a hero quickly when they start creating audiences that have value. So all three of us have a background in journalism, and you used to be able to, to get on and see how long someone sat on your web story. You don't know if they just were taking a nap while they had the screen up or if they were watching TV. Now you can actually see if they're scrolling all the way to the bottom of your very in-depth report that you put together or if they just froze on the page. <laughs> Or another one of those uh, optional recommended events is they started a tutorial or they finished the tutorial. Again, your conversion rates go way up the more people know about how your product works. One thing I think Greg really pointed out, and I think it's a really strong thing to talk about in 2023 and beyond, which is that this old way of thinking that it's us versus the enemy in advertising what GA4 really forces you to do is to say, wait a minute, we're both working towards the same goal here. We're both trying to get to the same things here. We're going to set this up so that our business goals are achieved. And at the same time, we're going to show attribution and contribution from PR, from paid social, from earned social, for whatever campaigns happen to be going on. I'm hoping that the way it's set up and sort of the use of it is going to get us away from advertising is the enemy. We're all worried about who gets credit for which piece of content as opposed to who's making a bigger contribution to the business priorities. Research would tell you that all pieces working together creates a much more effective result than one piece or the other. Digital ads alone without the, the content and the thought leadership to back it up is not as strong as an all-inclusive approach. So... And the same is true if the PR people are using the same key performance indicators that the ad people are using. And again, we've always had our own jargon and we've always had our own metrics. And unfortunately, these days, most people think they're bogus. <laughs> and frankly, things like AVEs are bogus. Many of them are. So how do you prove your value if the AVE, the V in value, is a bogus metric? Well, you can do it with events and conversion events. And here's the other secret. Every time you create a conversion event in GA4, you have the option, and it is an option, of giving that a monetary value. Now, in some cases, that's hard to figure out. In other cases, like e-commerce, dead simple. But one of the things that Katie and I are trying to teach people is if you get someone to sign up for your newsletter, and it's a free newsletter, so there's no business transaction, I can't say money past hands and calculate that. But 
Later on, I used the machine learning that's in Google Analytics 4 to discover that 10% of my subscribers go on to become customers within 90 days. Well, now every subscriber I get is one-tenth of a customer. That is a measurable value. I can put that in there. I'm now filling the pipeline, which particularly for B2B or even universities where there is a time that takes for people to kick the tires and finally decide that they're going to register, that you can begin showing value even before the cash register rings. So when it comes to setting this up, and this goes for some of the the larger companies, because we will be doing it ourselves, but too many organizations just kind of leave this stuff up to the IT department. And they're like, hey, IT, we've got an update coming. We need you to get us all set up on this new thing. Let us know when it's done. That's not going to work for GA4. So talk a little bit about, you've said it's really important for PR pros to have a seat at the table when it comes to setting up the way that your team uses GA4. Why can the IT department not just be on their own for this one? Because they don't understand PR. <laughs> <laughs> They have a very loose understanding of marketing. The thing about GA4 is that it is designed much more around marketing than it is around IT. Yes, it's still, Greg will point out all the reasons why it's still designed by engineers that don't quite understand this, but it's a lot savvier. Yeah, I guess I'm old enough to remember when the first website started popping up in the mid-1990s. And I was the director of corporate communications at Ziff Davis at the time. And I argued that, well, the website should report to me because I'm going to create the content that goes on it. And the IT department said, no, 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 no. We need the web analytics to determine servers and load balancing. And I lost that battle in the mid-1990s because at the time, web analytics was used by the techies for technical reasons. That's 30 years ago. That world went away. Everything is in the cloud now. You don't need to worry about load balancing. Web analytics is used by marketing. And if the marketing people do not have any input into, pardon me, you know what our business objectives are? You know how to translate that into conversion events? You're going to set that for us? Oh, boy. God bless you and good luck. Maybe some of you out there are really lucky and have super tech-savvy marketers on your team (laughs) Or or here's what you can also figure out. In most organizations, the IT department is underfunded, understaffed, overworked, and they're a lot like PR people in that respect. And if you can, again, treat them the way you treat the ad people, bring them in, offer them pepperoni pizza. That has always been my success formula. Sit down with them over a pepperoni pizza and say, hey, look, we can both be heroes here. If you can do this in web analytics, it will show that, quote, what I'm doing is valuable, but guess what? I'm going to share the credit with you, and that may get you the staffing you need or the attention you deserve or whatever. I think the bigger issue is, as you pointed out, in smaller companies where you don't necessarily have an IT department, you probably have an IT consultant. And that's where I think it's going to be a little bit more challenging because IT consultants are there to fix broken internets and other things. And they may understand the workings of getting a website up and running, but that's where I think you just have to find somebody, designate somebody within your team to understand GA4 enough to make sure that it's working the way you need it to be working. Well, we are lucky to have an SEO person who is 
very savvy on that end and does web development and a person who is a total data nerd. And so I think with their powers combined and the rest of us just saying, we want to make sure it does this and this and this and this and this, we'll get it all figured out. I actually see a lot more of data analytics people showing up within the communications and marketing function because people have realized that it's easier to teach them about PR and marketing than it is to teach PR and marketing about metrics and data analytics. Those are the people that should be in charge. Oh, yeah. And she will be. She's she's fantastic and enjoys it, which for some of us, it's metric reporting time is like, okay, let me like get my head right. Let me sit down here and get focused in on this. But so many of us in PR are results driven and you kind of have to be to want to work in this field. The new GA4 being able to give us so much more robust results is going to be exciting for everybody. There will just be a learning curve of understanding exactly how it works. Finally, I know that there are some people listening saying, yeah, yeah, but July 1st. So I I have until like second quarter. I'll start on that after the kids get out of school. Like we're going to get started on that in June. Yeah, we've got that in, in Q2. Why should they start now? Well, they actually should have started a year ago. They're already not going to have a year's worth of data by the time things switch over. And so they will not be able to compare July 2023 to July 2022. So the longer you push that off, the longer it will take before you've got any sense of benchmark performance. Secondly, it turns out that one of the wonderful new features in GA4 is this machine learning capability to give you what are called insights. Well, it takes time to train the machine to learn how your site works because no website is actually the same as any others. There's a learning curve for the machine learning. And in some cases, it can take up to 32 weeks for the machine learning to finally go, oh, you know what? That was an anomaly. That shouldn't have happened that way. I'm going to flag this and bring it to your attention. If you wait until the last minute, then again, you're basically flying blind for the next 32 weeks. Please, please, please start as soon as you can. You're already basically assuming if you started February 1st, you're only going to have February 1st data through June 30th data on the day that it switches over. You're not going to be able to do an annual report. You're not going to be able to look at two full quarters. I mean, you're, Greg's right. You're just going to be flying blind with incomplete data and you're going to be very frustrated and as will your bosses. Year-end reporting might look a little bit different for some folks this year. Where should people start? Should they jump in and see how much far they can get on their own? Are there some simple trainings that they should take that are easy and free? I did go in and very quickly set up a GA4 account and it converts over pretty easily. I mean, there's a lot of things that I wasn't doing and it was certainly not optimized at all, but it was very easy to set up. I mean, you can just literally just go on Google Analytics now, make sure that you're on GA4 and then tell it you want to set up a parallel site. It does take a while to customize and you just have to go through the thought process. But one of the things that I want to emphasize is that what Greg's talking about is is incredibly powerful and it's not that hard to set up. The hardest part is going to be thinking through what you want a cohort to be. What do you want your attribution 
percentage to be. Greg, you can talk about this better than I can, but it's really about thinking through. I mean, Greg was kind enough to set me up and you know, said, well, you've got to you know, define your events. That was probably six months ago, and I probably defined about three of them. And that's a good place to start. Start where you are, and you can always add up to 50 events later, okay? Walk before you run. Now, when it comes to resources, are there free ones? Yeah, you can go to YouTube, and it turns out Google Analytics has a channel that will walk you through this stuff. The first couple of videos that you watch, just understand that these are engineers who think they're speaking English. They'll use jargon that for an engineer, we all know what this means, of course. And it's like, uh, but there are some free resources. And if you're bilingual or you can get a friend who can translate for you, that, that's good. The website that I write for, Search Engine Journal, not me, but one of my colleagues has written a whole series of articles on getting from here to there. And the problem with getting from here to there is it depends on where you're starting. So if you've got a simple site, getting from here to there is pretty simple. There are other organizations out there who have multinational sites. Oh, that's a little harder to get from here to there. But there are free articles there. Or Katie, is it shameless promotion to talk about the training that we offer? We are offering training in this specifically for PR people, specifically for the non-engineers, non-advertising people out there. We're going to start in April. It's three sessions. There will be information on www.pmpublishing.com or just send me an email and ask me questions. Email is simple. It's measurementqueen at gmail.com. Well, thank you guys so much. This has been a lot. I know it's a lot, listeners, but it's incredibly informative. The times they are changing, so <laughs> you better start swimming. Um, you got to learn it. It's going to be great. It's going to give us more tools in our tool chest that we need. The time is now. As you heard Katie and Greg say, they are offering training on this. If you want to pursue that, you can follow Greg on LinkedIn or Twitter at Greg Jarbo and follow Katie on LinkedIn at Katie Delahaye Payne and Twitter at Queen of Metrics. If you have high level questions about GA4, you can connect with Kelly and myself on LinkedIn or you can tweet questions for us using the hashtag misinterpreted. That's hashtag misinterpreted. And we can either funnel those questions to Greg and Katie, or if they are ones that we know the answers to, we can get those for you quickly. Please follow Fletcher Marketing PR Twitter handle at Fletcher PR. You can also follow our CEO Kelly on Twitter at KD Fletcher. Thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll do it again next time. Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time.